Amen. All right. How are you today? We got a lot of space right here. You guys want to move up a few? Not today. <laughs> uh, so we're uh, we're in our lie detector series, and and uh, one of the I don't know cultural lies, and it, it kind of filters into the church sometimes too. Is this idea um, everybody goes to heaven and? Um, the world, I mean, the reason why the world believes that or wants to believe that or the culture wants to believe that is because um, why wouldn't you want to believe that? Who wants to go to heaven? Raise your hand. Um, who wants to go today? <laughs> wow, that's a bigger response than I was expecting. Uh, usually it's everybody wants to go to heaven, just not today. Um, but we all want to go to heaven, even though the world would say, you know, um, we, we want to believe this. We don't want to believe in God. We don't want to submit our life to Christ. We want to, don't want to believe the Bible. And against all of our um, rational judgments and understanding, we're, we're going to say that we believe that everybody goes to heaven, even though everything else would contradict that idea that everybody goes to heaven. And we're going to talk about that. Um, but we as human beings tend to believe things we want to believe even if all the evidence would point to something else, right? I want to believe that I am thin. And so all I have to do is not look in the mirror or get on the scale. And in my mind, I'm thin. Anybody else do that? No? I believe I'm young still. (laughs) I really do think that. I just think... But then I see people on TV that are my age, and I'm like, man, they're old. How come I don't feel as old as they look? Anyway, we, we tend to want to believe things because we want to believe them even though we can't really prove it. And so here's what happens, though, in the church. It, it's understandable why the culture or the world would want to believe everybody goes to heaven. That's understandable. But in the church, what happens is that we have these experiences where um, we go to um, a funeral or a visitation or a loved one or, you know, somebody has passed away, and we go to comfort that person um, who, who's grieving this, this loss. And, uh, and I've had this happen many, many times when, as a pastor, I've been called to a situation where somebody has died unexpectedly, and uh, the family is, is surrounded, you know, uh, and, and I go into a situation where I didn't know the person, I can't say one way or the other, you know, what, what their faith was or anything, um, and yet the question that almost is inevitable, it, you know, is, whether it's expected or not, is, is my loved one in heaven? Like, and they want me to say, you know, that that person is definitely in heaven, and uh, they're looking for that confirmation, that reassurance. And, and so, you know, when you don't know, that's one thing. You say, well, I, I don't know the person. I didn't know their faith, their belief, their trust, whatever. But you and I know the criteria, right? It's really simple. There's only one criteria given to us in the Bible that uh, we understand is the factor, whether you go to heaven or not. It is... Jesus Christ. 
faith in Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Have you believed in Him? That's it. Anything else that we might say is not going to affect that simple criteria. That's the criteria. So when we go and we, we hear that this person did not believe and did not trust the Lord, there are, there are a lot of things that, that begin to happen. One is uh, we might say, well, I don't know because I wasn't there when they passed away. Maybe they had a, uh, a, a moment where they received Christ before I talked to them or before they passed away. And so we kind of give like a little bit of room for the possibility that somebody maybe accepted Christ without anybody knowing, right? So, well, maybe they, maybe they accepted Christ, and we, we don't know. We can't say for sure, and that's, that's true. We can't say, and I'm, I'm not the judge, and you're not the judge. I don't determine if somebody goes to heaven or not. You don't determine if somebody goes to heaven or not. But it is still one criteria, one clear criteria. It's, it's faith in Jesus Christ. Anything else that we bring into that conversation is not going to be helpful. Well, they were a good person. Maybe they believed in God. I mean, I've heard this. I mean, you can't water it down much more than that, that maybe they believed in God. Now, what does the Bible say? Even the demons believe, right, and shudder. They're not saved because they, and they don't just have faith. They know that there's a God. So believing in God isn't the criteria, it's the acceptance and the receiving of Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross. That's the only criteria. But when we go into those situations, you know, obviously we're not going to say, you know, I'm so sorry for your loss and I'm really sorry that your loved one's in hell right now. That's just got to be just terrible for you. I mean, I can't even imagine how you must feel about that. I mean, that's just, nobody would say that. I mean, mo- <laughs> I shouldn't say nobody would say that. <laughs> nobody should say that. But we also shouldn't say, yes, I, I believe your loved one's in a better place based on any other criteria other than Christ. That's it. It's the only saving factor that we have. There's only one name given under heaven by which we must be saved. It is by faith in Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever what? Believes shall inherit eternal life, and on and on and on. All the scriptures tell us that he is the criteria. So we have to understand, what, what are some of the things, what are some of the factors that people bring into this question when it comes to do people go to heaven? Does everybody go to heaven? Obviously, it's based on the gospel. So let's look at this a little bit more closely from Galatians chapter 1. And... Uh, We're going to start in verse 6. Let's stand as we read God's word this morning. Galatians 1, starting in verse 6. I should probably have you stand later in the sermon to wake you up a little bit, like more towards the end instead of the beginning. Maybe we'll try that in a little bit. We'll see. All right. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you, want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And Father, we thank you that there is 
a gospel. What, a, what an amazing thing that you gave us the free gift of eternal life through your son, Jesus, Lord, that we can have confidence, absolute, clear confidence, assurance, Lord, without any doubt that we know when we pass from this life, and every one of us will, that we can enter into eternal life without pain, without sickness, without death, without crying anymore. We can pass into glory. But Lord, there are so many that are resistant to the truth of the gospel, the, the, the nature of, of what it means, what it requires to be saved, Lord. I, I pray that we would have open hearts, open minds, open, open ears, Lord, to your word, to your truth, Lord, that if anyone here is thinking there's another way, hoping there's another way, rejecting the way that you gave us, Lord, I pray that your spirit would begin to teach and uh, confirm and, and help, Lord, each and every one to know the truth for their sake, for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the uh, situation in uh, Galatia, just so you kind of understand a little bit of the background here, what's going on, Paul is obviously teaching that uh, they, they had begun to receive a different gospel. And he says, there's, there's no other gospel, but you're, you're trying to, to receive a different uh, way to be saved, a way to God, and it doesn't work that way. So what's going on here is that Galatia is not a city. It's not a, a specific church. Galatia is a region in the south um, east corner of, of Turkey. It's just kind of right above um, Tarsus, where Paul is from. So he's very familiar with that area, and it's just a little bit further uh, north from Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas spent a lot of time doing ministry. And so what it is is this area where it's um, where uh, Lystra and Derby and some of these other cities where he began to do his ministry, his missionary work. You follow me? Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's okay. Just keep up. So what's going on here is that this is the area, this is the region that Paul went to first with the gospel when he went on his missionary journey uh, to, to the Gentiles. Okay. And so what's happening here is that this area is, is an area that was affected by the same type of uh, false teaching, bad teachers that were um, going into Antioch where they had to go and get a letter from Jerusalem to say, what does it mean to be Christian when the, the gospel is really given to the Jewish people? So do we have to become Jewish? And they were all confused about that. So the, this Gentile region, this Gentile area is being um, infiltrated by Jewish teachers. And the Jewish teachers are telling them, that uh, you have to become Jewish. You have to convert to Judaism. You have to go through the laws and the sacrifices and all the rituals that the Jewish people go through. And at that time, okay, it's still early on. It's like in the 50s, okay? So, like, this is early in the church's history. This is when the, the temple is still existing in, in Jerusalem. You know that in A.D. 70s, just a couple decades later, what's going to happen is the Romans are going to destroy the temple and Jerusalem and all that and the, the sacrifices, and that's going to end, and has ended back then in 70, and still has, has not ever been reestablished to this day, okay? But back then, 
they still had the temple and they still had the priests and they still had the ceremonies and the sacrifices and all those things are still happening. And so uh, when they had the scripture before them, what they had was the Old Testament. That's all they had because the New Testament hadn't really been written yet. In fact, what we think is that uh, the book of Galatians, the letter to the Galatians, is the first scripture of the New Testament. It's the oldest. It's the one that, that Paul wrote first to kind of deal with this issue. And then a little bit later, Mark's going to be written. And then we're going to see within like 20 years, all the New Testament scriptures are going to have been written. But at this time, they don't have the New Testament. All they have is the Old Testament. And so they heard the gospel. They received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They got saved. And then Jewish teachers came in and said, hold on a second. You, you guys can't be, really be Christians unless you take a step back, become Jews, and then you can become Christians. And they started to believe that. And so what had happened was that they had started with faith, but now they're going to go to legalism. And their faith is in Christ is going to decrease while their legalism increases. And they're going to try to become good enough by their own works instead of trusting in the work of Christ to be good enough for them. See the problem? And so Paul says, listen, the, the Old Testament law never saved anyone. It, it didn't save you. It was a teacher to guide you to the Messiah. And you've received the Messiah, so you're trying to receive this other gospel. It's not even a gospel. There is no other gospel. There's no other good news. Jesus is the good news. So this other idea that legalism or being good enough is somehow going to get you to heaven is, is false teaching. And that's what they were dealing with. Now, we don't have as much of the idea of becoming Jewish today as they did. But we do have this other false teaching, which is you can go to heaven if you're good enough, right? See, we've translated this idea of legalism a little bit to this idea that if my good deeds, you ever heard this before? Is this brand new teaching to you? Like, if my good deeds, what, outweigh my bad deeds, then God will accept me into heaven. Like, that's kind of the idea. And it is prevalent. In the world, I hope it's not as prevalent in the church, although it probably does filter into the church. The idea here is somehow God's just going to weigh it all out, and if my good deeds are way more than my bad deeds, then I'm going to get in. Now, let's just, we've done this before. We'll do it again for fun. It's fun to me. How many good deeds are we really doing? I mean, you think about this for just a second. What do we, what do we say about good deeds? The other day, I was at uh, Dollar General. Actually, it was uh, Dollar Tree. Okay, I take the back. I told Dollar General this morning at 8 o'clock, I forgive, or please forgive me for that. It was Dollar Tree. And uh, I was in the, in the line, and... Uh, Here's what happened. I'm kind of approaching the line. Okay, so here's me, and there's two lines. Now, here's a register over here. This one just opened up over here, and all these people are scrambling, you know, trying to figure out which one's going to go faster like I would do. And 
and I always make the wrong choice. I, uh, inevitably, whatever line I go to is going to be the slowest. But so I see this lady go over here, and, but all these people got ahead of her. And I was already on my way to this other register over here. And then I see her come back to the register she had just left to go try to get into a quicker line. And she ends up behind me, right? And so I, as a good Christian, said, please go ahead and take your spot in line where, where you were before. And she's like, no, 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 I, it's okay. And I saw that she just had a few things. So I'm like, no, 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 it's fine. Go ahead. If she'd had a lot of things, I would have just let her go behind me. But she just had a couple things in her hands. I'm like, no, please, go ahead. I saw that you tried to get in a quicker line. Obviously, you're, you know, you're trying to get out of here. And she's like, oh, thank you. So she gets ahead, you know, in front of me, and no problem. She gets out. And then you know, as she's leaving, she's like, oh, thank you again for letting me you know, go in front of you and you know, whatever. And so I had done what? My good deed for the day. For the day. I can do, thank you, I can do now as many bad things as I want because I've done my good deed for the day, right? And that's how we talk about it. But you think about that, like that was like one time out of how many that I'm like, I've been in line before where I've not been so kind, right? I want to tell that story. There's another story. Okay, but, and I wasn't that crabby. It was just like, yeah. So you've been there. You know what I'm talking about. There are times when I get it right, and there are times when I get it wrong. But if I get it right one time, then I'm like, wow, I really, look at this good thing. that it, Is that really that good of a thing? But that's when we say, look, at I've done something good for the day. And you just think about this. If you were really, really trying to like stack up your good deeds against your bad deeds, shouldn't you have like a bunch every day that you could say, well, yesterday I did 10 good things. Here are all the things that I did. I, you know, I rubbed my wife's feet. I uh, washed the dishes without being asked. I took the dogs out for a walk, and I, and I would help that old lady cross the street, and, and I, whatever, you know, all the different things. You're going to do all these things. Every single day is just going to be full of all the good things that you're going to do, and then the bad things are just going to be few and far between. But is that really what we're doing? I mean, if you were thinking this is how you're getting into heaven, I would think that would, you would be going after it like that. But we're not. We do our good deed for the day, and then we're, we feel like we've accomplished something. And really, it's not really for the day. It's like, I did that good thing that a month ago, and that is still significant to me. So the idea that it's somehow you're going to stack up all these good things against your bad things isn't really happening. But the other thing is that how do you define the good versus the bad? right? So your good things that really aren't that good, letting somebody go ahead of you in line isn't that, it's not really that good. I didn't save somebody's life, right? It just, it just added a little bit more patience to my, my day. Um, but the bad things, so the, our, our bar for good is way down here. Like it's just barely good. And then the bad things, our bar for bad things is like murder, like kidnapping, bank robbery, right? 
Like, I didn't do any of that. I didn't commit genocide or anything, so I'm, I haven't done anything really bad. Like, okay, Hitler, he's, he's bad. You know, Jeffrey Dahmer, yeah, he, he's pretty bad. I can make some jokes here, but... Somebody is really into this sermon. I don't know. But, oh, okay, good. Um, but here's the deal. When we try to weigh our good and against our bad, I mean, listen, this isn't, this isn't what we're really going for. And here's why. is because you're talking about the law, legalism, the law. So does the law work like that? I didn't murder 15 people. I only murdered one. Does the law say, oh, good job. There are 15 people that you really wanted to kill and you didn't, so therefore you're good instead of bad. You don't have to go to jail. Or I didn't kill 15 people. I only killed 14 people. I know this is ridiculous, you know, but I'm just saying the law, according to the law, it's you break one law, you go to jail. It's not as if you get to, you know, weigh how many times you didn't break the law against how many times you did break the law, and therefore that's going to be the scale. I know we have the statue of the blind lady with the scales, you know, of justice, but that's not really how it works. We're not weighing good deeds against bad deeds. We're weighing whether or not you broke the law. And when you talk about breaking the law in terms of a cosmic court and God as the judge, then guess what? Who's guilty? Raise your hand. Like, have you broken any of God's laws ever? That's, that's the standard that we're talking about. So that doesn't fit. What are some other things that we're talking about? So... Um, some of the things that we say when we talk about uh, do all people go to heaven or do all roads lead to heaven, one of the things that we tend to think may be the case, this, and I'm saying this, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir, right, that you and I don't believe these things, but when we talk about these things, it's because we need to be as well-informed as possible because we're going to go back out into the world. And we need to remember what we believe and why. And then there are some people that maybe don't know. They really don't know. But one of the things that people do tend to think is all religions lead to the same God. You ever heard that before? All, you know, maybe, maybe somehow... You know, you're just trying to rationally think about how maybe everybody could get to heaven. Maybe Buddhists over in China and, and the Hindus over in India and the, the Muslims over in the Middle East and the, the Christians over here in America. And maybe they all just, they're all just a different way to get to the same God. Okay, so there's a problem with that. And there's a lot of problems with that. But one problem is... is um, the, the God of Buddhism, there is no God. It's atheistic. Buddhism is atheistic. They don't believe in God. Hinduism believes in, like, I forget, or, or maybe it's always changing, but it's like 100 million gods or 300 million gods. I forget exactly. Once you get past 100 million, I don't know if it matters anymore, but 
they, they believe in, they're polytheistic. They believe in, in so many gods. And so what will happen in, in Hinduism is that when, when they hear about Jesus as God, they say, bring him on in. We're fine with that. We don't mind if we add another God to our pantheon of gods. That's no problem for us. But what you do see, and this is what a lot of Americans don't have a clue about, we're not told this stuff usually, is that over in many parts of India, uh, the Christians who say, no, it's only Jesus, this is the only way to the Father, this is the only God that we can worship, then the Hindus persecute, kill, torment, and destroy the Christians in those communities. They drive them, they don't want them there because they are afraid of that kind of faith. They're not inclusive. You know the most inclusive religion in the world is Christianity. The most inclusive... We began this nation on the premise of you have the freedom to believe and worship how you want. Even if that means it differs from what I believe. But we, we believe that there is one God and one Savior and one faith that will save. So Hinduism has a very different understanding of, of God. And then you have Islam. And these are the major religions of the world, okay? The, Islam believes in a, the God of Abraham, but the God of Abraham in a very different way than we believe in the God of Abraham because their God of that they trace their faith back through Abraham, is not a God who is a father. He's not a God who is uh, personal. He's not a God that you can know. He's not a God who is gracious. He's not a God who is forgiving. Okay, their God, they, many Christians misunderstand, think that we have the same God. We don't have the same God. That's not the same God of the Bible. They have a different God, but they just say that, well, it's the God of Abraham. He's not. He's, he's not knowable. He's not... He's not a God that you can have a relationship with. And no matter what you do in Islam, no matter how faithfully, strictly you live the, the Islamic life, the Muslim life, you still do not have assurance that you, you will go to heaven. It'll still be up to Allah to decide whether you go to heaven or not, no matter what you do. There's no grace. There's no forgiveness. You talk about forgiveness in, in the Christian context. You take that over into a Middle Eastern context and say, you, you're supposed to forgive me. That's the, that's the spiritual way. And they say, I don't have to forgive you. I, I can kill you if you wrong me or believe wrongly or do wrongly. The forgiveness is not in the, the nature of, of Islam. You say, is this the same faith? And you just you start to look at some of the contradictions between what some of these people believe, and here's what you would have to conclude. Christians cannot, cannot say that all, all religions lead to the same God because whatever God that would lead to would be a different God than Scripture reveals in, in this way. Our God is a God of truth. Our God has revealed himself. He is a God of grace. He is a God of mercy, a God of love. A God who is going to take that revelation and then take Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism, or any other religion and say, it's all the same God. That's not our God. In fact, that's not a God that anybody knows. It's not a God that anybody has ever heard of because this is a God who is not holy. This is a God who is not good. This is a God who is not truthful. This is a God who is chaotic, 
who, who doesn't reveal himself. Who, this is not God that we know of, if that's the God that you're talking about everybody going to. It's not an eternity that we've ever heard of. So it would be a man-made idea that somehow all religions could go to the same God when all these religions are contradicting each other. You understand how that doesn't work? So that's kind of out the window. Um, Here's another one. Man is basically good. This is a little bit different than your good deeds and your bad deeds. Basically what this kind of idea is, everybody goes to heaven because everybody's good, means that man is not sinful and not fallen and not lost. He is he deserving, essentially, inherently, in his nature of heaven. That, that's another way to try to get people into heaven. Um, now, what's the problem with that? Let me ask you this. Do you need the Bible to tell you that man is sinful, or can you discern that by your experience? You ever met a person? You sit alone in a room by yourself and you can discern that people are not purely, inherently good. We're, we're fighting against that, that sinful nature all the time, trying to keep it in check, aren't we? But the Holy Spirit helps us and the Word of God inspires us and, and, and informs us. But, man, what do we say? To err is what? Human. Everybody makes mistakes. We all fail sometimes. I mean, these are just the things that we say about nobody's what? Perfect. So, that just doesn't even make sense that people would think that people are good. We know that they're not good. You can't convince anybody who's had an experience with another human being that everybody's intrinsically good. So that one just doesn't even fly at all. The other one is, this is more of a, I don't know, liberal Christian kind of uh, possibility, I guess. And not a possibility, it's impossible. But I get it on a theological plane why somebody might possibly think this, which is that the, the cross of Christ um, saved everyone. So it's, it's universalism is what it is, is that no matter if you receive Christ or not, no matter if you believe in him or not, that he paid the price for sin, all sin for all time, past, present, future, that his, his blood was the sufficient sacrifice for sin and it atoned for all sin no matter whether you believe it or not, right? So that's, that's an idea that some people have that somehow when he fulfilled the law, he fulfilled it for everybody even if they didn't receive it. Now, the problem with that, and you can probably tell what the problem is without me having to explain it to you, but the problem is that you take much of Scripture and you believe it, okay? So I believe in the Old Testament law that God has said that this is, this is a, um, who I am and, and this is what you are to do and, and the law is going to guide you into a Messiah, that, I need, that I'm a sinful creature, that I need saving, and that Jesus is the fulfillment of the, all the prophecy about who would come to fulfill that and he'd be the perfect life and he would be the perfect sacrifice and he would rise from the dead and all those things are fulfilled and then at some point I have to like pause everything that God has said that I'm going to believe and then I'm going to have to go through my Bible and start scratching out parts that that I no longer want to believe right so John 3 16 we we're all familiar with this for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that's it 
That's all you can believe. Because if you read any further, that whoever believes in him should have not perish but have eternal life. So you're going to go through your Bible and just really just start marking out everywhere faith is required, obedience is required, believing is required, any type of acceptance. You're going to just mark that all out and say, okay, I like these parts, but then these other parts I don't care for. Does that work? What, what would that be? That would be a man-made religion. It would be a false gospel. And uh, in church terms, it would be heresy. And here's the, the bigger problem, is that it is irresponsible for the church to communicate to people that they don't need to receive Christ. Because what are you doing? You're condemning people to hell. So here's the last one. Um, what is, you know, what, how do people get to this idea that, that everybody goes to heaven? Well, maybe there's no hell. You ever heard that before? You, you don't want to hear about this, do you? There was a Christian pastor who's really, you know, becoming quite popular, famous, um, called, uh, his name was Rob Bell. Remember Rob Bell? He, he did a lot of studies, and, and he was very, you know, energetic and interesting in his teaching, and, and eventually, at some point, he got to this place where he just didn't like the concept of hell, and he wrote a book called Love Wins. I don't know, probably about 15 years ago now, so... But, you know, he went on the circuit with Oprah, you know, and she ate it up, thought it was fantastic. You know, the, the whole idea was there's no hell. It's just love and, and acceptance and everybody goes to heaven and hell doesn't exist. And uh, here again, what's the problem is um, how much of scripture do you have to not believe in order to get to that point of, of accepting this false doctrine? Here's what um, the Bible says. Uh, hell is eternal. And I just looked at where hell is described in eternal terms. So, uh, number one, eternal fire. Uh, Matthew 5.22, and 25.4, and also Jude 1.7 describing hell as eternal fire. Um, and this is where we get the picture of, of burning, of... Um, of heat, of flames, of red, and uh, this, this is our kind of our go-to understanding of, of hell is how it's going to kind of be. I don't know what it, people are going to experience there, but over and over and over and over, it's, it's called a place of eternal fire. The fire never goes out. It never is quenched. It's never lessened. And when you see the story of Lazarus and the rich man, the rich man goes to torment. It, it is a place where he, he's thirsty and there's no, no solution. Even a drop of water on his tongue would soothe him a little bit, and there's no solution for that. It's, but it's eternal. Hell is not a place where you go to for a little while, and then you're, it's extinguished, or that you get to go to heaven, or that, you, that you're obliv obliviated and, and no longer exists. It's eternal. You live there consciously forever and ever and ever. Uh, it's a place, Matthew 25, 46 says, it's of eternal punishment. And understanding punishment uh, different than discipline. Anybody ever been disciplined? No, you've all been really good. So 
what happens in discipline is that you learn something, you grow from it, you, you correct your behavior, you mature from discipline. Punishment is different because th- there's no, it's not necessary that you learn anything. It's just pain. It's just you deserve this because of what you've done. That's punishment. It's different than discipline. God's not disciplining people in hell. He's punishing them in hell. It's a place of eternal destruction, Second uh, Thessalonians 1.9. And, and this is what you understand about that. Some people take that term, destruction, and say, oh, well, they're going to go and they're going to um, just be destroyed. They're not going to exist anymore. That's not what that means. What it means is that God made you and I uh, in his image and for a purpose. And then when that purpose is ultimately lost because we didn't receive Christ for redemption, then we are destroyed. In other words, we no longer have the potential to fulfill our purpose that we were made for. It's, It's the waste of a human life. Eternal destruction, eternal judgment, Hebrews 6.2. This is the judgment. You've broken the law. This is, this is what uh, John 3.16 goes on to tell us. After God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's beautiful. We love John 3.17. But then it also says in John 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Praise the Lord. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. It's not as if, if you reject Christ, then you're condemned. You start condemned. The gospel is able to save you from that position, that the wrath of God is on everyone from day one. We, we are sinful creatures who need redeeming. And the gospel says, come, be rescued, come out of that, be Find life, right? The judgment. Eternal darkness, Matthew 8, 12, and Jude 1, 6. Here's the thing I, I think about eternal darkness, and, and here we're, I'm guessing some of these things. I don't, it doesn't say clearly exactly. If there's eternal fire and there's eternal darkness, then somehow you have to explain the, the, the concept. And here's what I believe the darkness represents is solitude. People have this idea that they're going to go to hell and party with all their friends for, for all eternity. That's not what hell is going to be. I think hell is going to be eternal separation, not only from God, but from everything else. The darkness is there is no comfort. There is no conversation. There is no fellowship. There is, n- there is nothing that you're going to find solace in, in in hell. You are alone in its place of eternal torment. Mark nine forty eight, Matthew thirteen forty two. Torment has a couple of different things, I think. Um, one is, and I think about this all the time, maybe, I don't know, maybe more than I should. People hear the gospel in this church, through this ministry, through many ministries, okay? They hear it, and they reject it. They hear Jesus offered. They hear the, the warning going out, and they just, they don't want it. They don't accept it. They don't receive it. They don't want any part of it. It just hits a hard heart, and it bounces off, and they, they don't want to do anything with it. And unfortunately, here's, I think, part of the torment is going to be for some people, they're going to find themselves in an eternal fire, punishment, destruction, judgment, darkness, 
This is forever and ever and ever, and it is the most unpleasant thing you can even think of. These images are, don't even come close to the experience that some people are going to have, and they are going to remember that they heard the gospel and they rejected it. They're going to remember those moments when they were compelled, they were encouraged, they were invited to receive Christ, and they decided not to. They decided they knew better. They, they were smarter than God. They're smarter than all these dumb Christians who are, are living in blind faith, and, and we, live, we think that uh, we believe in fairy tales, and they really know the truth, that the hell doesn't exist, and lo and behold, they're going to find out that it does, and they're going to say, I had my chance, and I lost it. You talk about regret. You're going to have eternal regret. There's no solution for You can't go back and do it over. There's one death and then judgment. It's not like you get another chance. You think about the weight of that for all eternity in pain and suffering, and you're never, there's no getting out of it. The torment that I can only imagine is going to tear that person's heart apart thinking I had my chance. I heard it over and over and over. I saw those Christian people. They, they were so sincere. And I thought I would just take my chances. That's going to be some torment for some people. There are others, though. The torment is, is a little different. I think the, there's a passage, there's a lot of passages talk about the the uh, gnashing of teeth. There, there are people that are on a campaign to destroy faith in this world, in this country especially, who, who want to convince people that God doesn't exist, that, the, that you shouldn't believe the Bible, that you shouldn't be Christians, that they actually, they actually are on a campaign, on a missionary journey to convince people that Christianity is bad. It's bad. It's bad for you. It's bad for the world. It's bad socially. It's bad for people's lives, how you're raising your kids. They, they really think it's bad. And what's going to happen for some people when they get to the judgment and they, they realize that they were wrong and that God does exist, they are going to be furious. They're going to be enraged that, how dare he? Because I thought, you know, what if they go and they're like, oh, I guess I was wrong. God does exist. They're not going to think, because I thought they, there's no way they can say, that God didn't reveal himself. There's no way they can say God didn't try to rescue them. God didn't share the gospel. Like they didn't hear the gospel. They're going to know that they were on a campaign against God and they're going to just be angry with God for it for all eternity. That's the torment that they're going to feel, this, this insatiable rage against God. And they're going to gnash their teeth for all eternity. How dare he? And so... Hell's not a fun concept, is it? I, I could wish, like anyone else, that hell didn't exist, but the doctrine of hell is throughout Scripture. It's real. And two things that it helps me to understand is, one, if I were lost, I would hope that... I would hope that somebody saying that hell in these descriptive terms is going to be like this would give me at least, if there's a chance 
that I can escape that, a small chance if I can, I can save, uh, be saved from that, avoid that, that I would take it. And I would hope that this, we need to talk about hell probably a little bit more than we do. We're, we're kind of gun-shy because of the old you know, style hellfire and brimstone stuff that was you know, perpetrated back in the day. But we've almost gone all the way away from ever talking about hell because we don't want to offend anyone. But the reality is some people, maybe if they hear that hell is a really bad place, <laughs> they might receive the gospel. And I'm not trying to scare anybody into heaven, but man, if I can scare you into heaven, then fine, that's, we'll take it. <laughs> the other thing is that for the Christian, if you know how bad hell is, and I know how bad hell is, Shouldn't that give us a little bit more urgency to tell people about the gospel? I mean, it's, I cannot make anybody's choice for them. I, I, I cannot coerce. I cannot convince. I cannot manipulate anybody into heaven. But if I know what hell is, then I should care about people enough to share with them how much God loves them and what he's done for them to save them from that. A little more boldness, a little bit more urgency, a little bit more compassion, a little bit more love. Here's the thing. I am so heavenly minded. I think about it a lot. I want to go to heaven. When you raise your hand, I want to go today. I'd be happy to go today. Heaven's going to be awesome. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be better than anything you've ever experienced in this world. And it's never ending glory to glory to wonder to awesome experience with the presence of God no more pain no more sin no more illness no more frailty no more ignorance it's just going to be it's going to be you can't even describe it and that focus keeps me motivated in this life right i'm I'm keeping my eye on heaven because that helps me in my day-to-day. Whatever I deal with, whatever you deal with today, it's temporary. Paul says, you know, we, we deal with these light and momentary afflictions. You know, it's, and he dealt with some big stuff, pain and, and persecution like you and I have never even experienced. And he says, light and momentary compared to the glory being revealed. I keep my eyes on that because there's coming a day that, that I'm, gonna, I'm going to certainly be there. So what, what am I going to worry about in this world if I know that I'm accepted in heaven, I'm going to be there for eternity, it's going to be better than anything in this world. So here's what happens is that receiving the gospel means that I have the certainty of heaven and then it also gives me purpose in my life. What am I here for? Changed life. I don't know everything. I'm I'm not good at everything. I'm not uh, strong enough for everything. I'm not self-controlled for everything, but I'm growing. You're growing. The Holy Spirit in you is revealing the truth of God's Word. It's making you a better person. It's it's correcting some wrongs in your life. It's giving you direction for how to be a husband, a a wife, a mom, a dad, a worker, a a citizen, all these different things. He's inspiring you. But in the end, we're better because we're, we're focused on heaven. 
The Holy Spirit in me is changing me not just so I can have a nice life. It's changing me so that I can be a witness to help other people to see that Christ is real and I'm going to heaven and they can too. And as that happens more and more, people are rescued out of hell and they're rescued out of lies and they're rescued out of misunderstanding and we can see a community change. Father, we love you. Help us. Help us to live the gospel. Help us to love the gospel. Help us to be witnesses of it, be embodiments of it, Lord, that Jesus Christ died for my sin, saves me from my sin, forgives me from my sin. I'm a new creature in Christ because of all that. And it's not just for us individually. And even though it is a wonderful gift for each of us, Lord, it is something that you have called us into purposeful mission to help other people to know Christ, to rescue them from darkness and danger and destruction. And Lord, I, I don't understand even half of it, Lord, but I thank you for revealing who you are, what your plan is, how you solved our biggest problems, death and sin how you made it so simple. I heard twice this morning, Jesus reference, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The gospel is simple. Receive Jesus Christ. It's, it's, there's nothing simpler than grace. <laughs> we thank you for that. We're working out the, the details of living a life worthy of, of that grace for the rest of our lives, but the salvation is so simple. One name under heaven given. We trust and we call in the name of Jesus, and we are saved. Thank you. We pray that we would all know that, declare it, proclaim it, however, wherever, whenever, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you this morning. Um, there are so many ways that you can receive Christ. You can do it when you leave. You can do it in your seat. You can do it when you're laying in bed at night. You can do it right at the altar. You can do it with somebody praying with you. You can do it in a group. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But the Bible says, don't put it off because today is the day of salvation. If the Holy Spirit is moving on your heart, calling you to a faith in Christ, and you're ready, don't wait another moment. Amen? We would love to be here for you, pray with you, pray for you, however we can. But if the Lord is calling you today, then accept his invitation today. Amen? Let's stand and sing.